And we are back once again with the Black Shoe Diaries podcast. Chris Grovich here. Kevin Powers here. And um, I, I think I've said more than enough. Not that we're going to stop because this is a podcast. But um, I think I've said my piece pretty well this week. And uh, Kevin, I'm, I'm just going to go for your unfiltered reaction on this because you haven't been uh, commenting uh, too much on the, on the site this week. So I want, I want your your story of watching Penn State and Temple um, fighting like two mules fighting over a turnip. <laughs> yeah, it, I um, I mean, I felt the same way. I went through all the same seven stages of, of whatever the post-Temple recovery kind of mechanism is. Um, and, you know, the, the takeaway now that we've reached a, some semblance of equilibrium is, is really that we have, like, we have fundamental issues we, we were concerned about the quarterbacks we didn't like the way that the offensive coaches are handling the quarterbacks but that's so 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 far down the list I think at this point that um what's concerning is not that a quarterback won't step up it's that well we, we we've kind of established that that's going to take time but but even more even more concerning is just kind of are they even in a situation to, to get set up do we have coaches that are kind of developing the rest of the positions and then you know there's really unlike any other time that i've seen paterno in the in the press box which i guess we didn't see him in the press box to speak technically about what happened um by the way i went i i set the over under on the number of times they would show that thing way way too low they showed it the first time on television and you know i'm sitting with i, I made a rare trip to the bar for this one and i said all right over under is eight eight shots of the of the uh of the reflective glass and i lost count in the third quarter okay now let, let me get your reaction and your opinion as to the uh the, the windows in the press box mini fiasco because you know it to me it's just sort of weird and dumb and not that i mean i think it's interesting in the fact that on on penn state's you know during the alabama game it was shot after shot of joe paterno with no reaction whatsoever to the events going on in the field and you know people are quick to point out like oh it's only one little snapshot in time over a three and a half hour game and he might not you know happen to be making any sort of i don't know reaction at that particular moment fine um the point is that every time they show joe paterno he was just sort of like frozen there like, 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 I sort of like freeze over or glaze over when I'm watching a movie that I don't like, or just, <laughs> just sort of like staring blankly. And the, uh, the, the, the press box uh, or the coach's box at Lincoln Financial Field being shown over and over and over again, just this sort of mysterious, like, you know, the brain trust is in there somewhere. <laughs> it was just right. this sort of like. Well, it, it speaks to this kind of desperation that that ESPN has about driving the storyline that they wrote before the game. So they, you know, it's always the same story. We talk about how tired we are of always hearing the same comment every time they do the two liner of the Penn state game or the Penn state program. And I mean, they had tape on the, on the box to make sure that they didn't accidentally show the wrong reflective glass, (laughs) right? Which is, which is also a little ridiculous, but I guess, I guess you might as well be journalistically accurate in your, in your kind of 
nonsense coverage of what's happening. And there was something else too, where they've, they've shifted. They really were focusing on Bradley last year, two years ago, both, I guess, um, as kind of the, the, the sideline, you know, when it's time during the kind of flow of the game to show a head coach, they showed Bradley. Um, and they switched strangely to McQuarrie. And I, you know, I, I did see a comment that, that said, um, you know, this is this is kind of a perception as reality thing. I, I saw comments of people um, in the long ranting threads about how you know now it feels like McCrory's running this program. Well, it only feels like that because, because he's yeah, getting the FaceTime. He's the one on TV. Which, and I wonder why. I, I know he's. I guess he's more animated. Um, maybe it's because <laughs> you you just during the offense, their offensive play series, it, it doesn't feel right to show Bradley. But maybe that's also because Bradley's truly kind of stepping away from from pretending to have any involvement in, in the game management stuff when he, when he appeared to be the de facto guy on the sideline. So, right. Because there were times when Joe Paterno was, you know, laid up, uh, you know, a few years ago and it was Tom Bradley being the guy deciding whether to kick the field goal or, you know, making those game decisions who calls timeout. Well, it's Tom Bradley. He's the one, he was the, you know, the guy who was put in the position to be the head coach and, and, and be that guy. And you don't have that feeling now whatsoever. And it's, I mean, part of that is because Joe Paterno is there, you know, it's not like he's not in the building, but sort of the mystery that is the play calling structure and the mystery with being behind the glass. And there's just all the, all these like, I understand the point that ESPN has its story to drive, but Penn State's not giving them a choice. That's very true. They're they're certainly not. And and you know they, in in looking back on all that, it does feel like they they're just kind of trying to force something. You know, they're even, you know, uh, the other thing about when they were showing Bradley is that the the comments you know on non PSU sites were you know I read this everywhere from, you know, the Rutgers site to Emgo blog. Which is basically, oh, Brad, you know, Tom Bradley started running that program in, in 2005, like, or 2006, you know, and, and he never, you know, at least from, from my perception, and my perception is as good as theirs or anyone else, any beat reporter that's trying to figure out what actually is going on. It's never felt like he's running the program. It's never felt like anyone is kind of even trying to run the program. And that that is probably the biggest mystery in all of this. There, there's a very obvious power vacuum going on here. And, and as we, we said before we started recording tonight, the quarterback situation may be sort of irrelevant in the sense that neither one of them is that good and neither one of them seems to be improving. And the, the team doesn't play particularly better with either guy in the, in the lineup. It really is sort of a, it's not even a one A and one B. It's like a, a four A and four B sort, right, of, right, right. sort of thing, and um, it, it's it's sort of symptomatic or sort of representative of, of the the larger issue in that you know. And, and Ben wrote a very good article. Um, we're recording this on on Tuesday night, so he, he wrote this on Tuesday, saying that um, you know Paterno didn't have these problems in the past, and if you bring up nineteen ninety nine when we have uh, Kevin Thompson and Richard Casey going in and out of the lineup. At least those guys were very different styles. And at least that team was good. 
you know, it, it, it's not like they were going in there and both failing. <laughs> it's, right. You know, they, I think it's John, John Madden's uh, quote is winning is a great deodorant. Right. Um, yeah, this team's two and one, but they haven't looked good for extended stretches in really any of the games. I mean, Indiana state, sure, I guess, but, um, very rarely against Alabama and not at all against temple. And, and they were extremely lucky to, uh, to have Steve, Steve Adazio switching quarterbacks. And apparently he's starting Chester Stewart this week against Maryland. I don't know what the hell that guy is. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I wonder if that's just kind of trying to get, get your hands too much on, on what's going on there. Yeah, you know, I, he has to distinguish. I mean, that's a, that needs to be a running team. They need to run the ball yeah. often. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. But, um, yeah, I mean, where do we go from here, essentially? Like, how – I th- we both know, and I, I think the, the vast majority of the knowledgeable fan base knows that it's not like Graham Spanier is going to step up in October and say, okay, we're cleaning house. And it's not like he's going to do that in January either. I think we've all reached a point collectively here where Joe Paterno is going to stay as long as he wants to stay. And I know his contract is up this year and that doesn't mean a damn thing in the world because he's going to say in December that he feels great and he wants to coach another two or three years. And we know we've been through this over and over again. And to think that this is going to change is absolute madness. He's not going anywhere unless God takes him. Or, or his wife convinces him to uh, to give it up. No, yeah. he certainly he certainly isn't. At least not not in not unless something else drastic changes. So how does this get fixed in the in the short term? Like how does this team this year turn it around? The Big Ten, you know, not good. In but in any way, really, Wisconsin is good. I think we can we can reach that. Nebraska's okay to okay to good, and then after that, I mean, Michigan maybe. Michigan might be good. Michigan State got blown out by Notre Dame. I mean, I guess they outgained Notre Dame by about a hundred yards, but uh, they lost by what eighteen points. Yeah, that that there, was the game, game. I was. There are games to win, essentially. And there's a lot of them in a row, starting with this Saturday. Starting with this Saturday. Starting with last Saturday. <laughs> Starting with last Saturday. Um, yeah, but we we are going to forget about last Saturday. Maybe we'll be saying that every Tuesday until. I hope so. I mean, I, you know, I, I hope we can forget about last Saturday this week. <laughs> um, if, you know, Eastern Michigan's terrible. And I will be calling them Eastern Motors and singing that song <laughs> until at least Sunday afternoon. I was singing yep. it in my kitchen tonight, singing your job, your credit, and my wife's <laughs> looking at me like I'm insane. I always sing the Alex Ovechkin version, which is <laughs> I don't believe I've more heard pronounced that. and with less rhythm. Um, <laughs> I'd expect nothing less. Yeah, it in- includes uh, includes air shots, I guess, of him taking taking vodka <laughs> in, between, <laughs> in between clips. But but um, no, I, I think there, there's only really two solutions here, and like. You know, the reality, the or at least it seems probable to me that both of these are are so far fetched that that we shouldn't even necessarily be discussing them. But you know, one one is to figure out a way to to actually get some of these coaches who have mailed it in to start. I mean, we have 
we have two quarterbacks that are effectively the exact same quarterback, mm-hmm. except one runs a little faster, and that same one also happens to throw, you know, with more velocity on his ten yard passes than than the right. other. But he also lacks, you know, a little bit more, a little bit of pocket presence. But neither of them are like, you know, going to be bobbing and weaving for fifteen yards downfield. They they might be able to run it up the sideline for a, a five yard gain on a busted play. But yeah, you know, so the, the thing is, they both they both throw those intermediate routes fairly well. You, they you, do. You give them a throw between 10 and 20 yards, and generally they're making the right reads and throwing the ball. The, and you know that, neither that one Bolton, of them has any threat to throw the ball downfield. The, Bolton can uh, – they'll throw it, but there, there's no threat to get it actually completed. And they probably didn't make the right read when they threw it anyway. So that's yeah. another concern, especially if you're a coach. Well, yeah. So, they're just those locking on to the receiver running down the sideline and, and throwing it. You know, we've seen Bolden do that all year long. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not even that down on that, on that characteristic of him. You know, considering his experience, I, I think, you know, there's a huge learning curve, and he's, he's well at the beginning of it, and we shouldn't expect him to, you know, to be any further along. And I'm not even really sure that that taking more snaps against Temple or against, you know, Indiana State is is going to get him there. But you know, the the reality though is that the play calling is not really built around those quarterbacks they're they're doing completely predictable runs when we have a slightly undersized but very very fast running back or running them up the middle on you know formations that that you and i can call drunk at the bar watching yeah, the game. And, and this is a good time to bring this up i don't know if you saw this or not today phil gross from uh, blue white illustrated uh, had mentioned online that penn state essentially ran at the uh, urging of joe paterno essentially eight to ten plays out of pretty much the same formations. Looking at the game, I've watched the game live, you know, in person once and on video once, and that was enough. (laughs) But I can't can't really argue with the assertion that they only ran a handful of plays. And what does that say about everything? Yeah, there's, uh, there's obviously a fundamental you know, in my opinion, a fundamental misunderstanding of what establishing the run means anymore. It's, you know, you're running in between the tackles and predictable formations and, and telling the coach that you're trying to establish a run is different than, you know, being creative about how you use actually running effectively for yards, right? Because running effectively for yards is when they'll start making adjustments that, that open up the pass game and, and I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not a 30-year, you know, offensive coordinator, and I shouldn't be the one doing these. But it's it's pretty, it seems pretty fundamental in the sense that high school coaches should be should be getting that. But I I don't know how I don't know how really you're gonna with Jay in there. I mean, I think the the Joe longevity problem is is echoed in the Jay longevity problem unless he gets a job offer, which he hasn't been getting even sniffs of job offers since I don't know when he might have gotten a token interview at Cincinnati a long time ago is like the only thing I can even remember. Mm-hmm. So he's probably here. And as long as he's here and Hall's here, I don't really see that happening. The The other one is maybe, you know, and and then whatever you think outside the box or outside of what I'm able to figure out is is maybe there's some type of, of kind of half-ass ultimatum where you you are you aren't able to get rid of Joe, but you are able to insist on on at least some some changes or some active management of 
of what the staff's doing. I mean, to I, don't, the, I don't think they can insist on anything. I don't think anybody outside of the program has any influence whatsoever on what goes on in terms of coaching responsibilities or, you know, recruiting decisions or, or anything, anything. So here's something we didn't talk about. What, because it didn't happen and we thankfully didn't have to talk about it, but what happened if Bradley got the pitch job and took half the staff? Where, where are we just, do we just he, promote on up or do we? Well, from, from what I learned from people who sort of know the situation better than I do, um, McQueary definitely would have gone along with him to be an offensive coordinator. There's a, a possibility that Ron Vanderlinden would have gone along. That seems less, less likely. Um, but I mean, at that point, I mean, does Larry Johnson Sr. really want to be a defensive coordinator? Every year, it seems like he's the threat to retire to you know go into the ministry, which seems to be his his next job. Uh, whenever he decides to do that, I mean, other you know, Ron Vanderlinden probably wants another shot at a head coaching job. He was head coach at Maryland before Ralph Regan showed up. Um, he's been sort of lightly considered for a few Mac positions over the years. I think that's the most likely landing spot for him unless he gets a defensive coordinator shot at a at a bigger school. Offensively, I don't think anything really changes. I mean, McQuarrie's a receivers coach and a record, recruiting coordinator. Those aren't impossible positions to fill. So I'm not sure that anything... I think at the time this all was going down with Tom Bradley, we assumed that more coaches would be going with him than actually probably would have. And, yeah, I get that and, sense too. And I'm not sure that that would have been enough to take Joe Paterno out. Yeah, I think especially on the offensive side, there was if that if that if that's a solid kind of mountain, there there is defensive talent that could fill. If they're running. Let me let me ask this. Why do you think they're running eight to ten plays? Do you think it's to, to basically impose their will on a lesser opponent? Is it because the team only can handle eight to ten plays? Is it because the coaches don't really want to go outside of that sort of extremely limited comfort zone for eight to ten plays? I, I don't. It, I mean, it feels like the game every year is, is that we we insist that we're keeping it simple because we don't want to give anything away. But, and then in the tough but, games, but we, we they, don't have, they do the same thing in the big games. Exactly. They, they sometimes do less. And when they, you know, and, and then the, the psychology there is that, well, we're just, you know, this perfect game approach that we've talked about over and over again, it does not involve opening up the playbook and doing wild, you know, outside of an, a very early first quarter reverse or, you know, <laughs> right. or, you know, bomb on a, on a, you know, I mean, I, I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is, you have these coaches who have been there forever. You have two quarterbacks who, both going into this season, had starting experience. You have a running back who is extremely talented. Two really good fullbacks. Offensive line, which is not great, but at least has you know a, a decent amount of experience. Barham was a starter last year. O'Coley was a starter last year at tackle. Troutman's played a lot. Pinnell's played a lot. Stankovic played a few years ago and was was way too soon for him. But he at least has some, you know, playing experience. Why? Why? Why eight 
why eight plays? Why ten plays? What, what What is it about that group that the coaches don't want to put faith in them to go outside of fullback dives, um, Silas right between the tackles, and four curls? Or a smash route? You know, like, what, what, what is going on there? I just, yeah, I, just, and- I, just, I just want to know the rationale. Because Jay Paterno has this, you know, he, he was the the guy talking spread HD a few years ago. I understand we don't have Michael Robinson in the lineup, but you, you know, no, no pre-snap motion, no, you know, shifting formations, no, nothing. They're just running, they're running up to the line and running the play. No audibles, nothing. Joe Paterno said at the press conference today that the uh, quarterbacks are free to audible. Really? They don't have. They don't even have time to audible. Well, yeah, that, there's that. <laughs> but when's the last time you saw one of these guys check out of a play? They're running fullback dives into eight and eight and nine man fronts. Yeah, they're, I, they're, not I, changing, they're not changing plays. And Temple knew exactly what was coming. We can make fun of Adazio. I mean, he's an offensive guy, but or, is he an offensive? Yeah, he sure he is. Yeah, but um. Their defensive coordinator, Heater, knew exactly what was coming all the time. And this is something we've seen throughout the Big Ten, where the talent's a hell of a lot better and the coaching is probably a lot better, too. Iowa knows what plays are coming. Ohio State usually knows what plays are I mean, this is something that we run into over and over again. And we're at the point where if Penn State doesn't have clearly, clearly better talent, they're and no not, turnovers. And, and no turnovers. Not winning the game. And that's it. That's where we are. And, and that's that's where the program is until whenever it is that Joe Paterno leaves. However it is that Joe Paterno leaves. And I'm not happy to see this, you know, to see this end like this. Nobody is. Nobody's, nobody's thrilled about this, but, you know, it's the situation we're in. It's sort of, and, and this is this is the hopeless part of the uh, the podcast. But I mean, how? What conceivably will be done by this coaching staff to fix these problems? Because if you don't see problems with this, you're not going to see problems with anything in life. And and God bless you for it. But this is a mess. It's it certainly doesn't feel creative or actively managed. That that's the truth, and and it's it's too bad because you know the one thing that was so attractive about Golden was just his total kind of um, making more with less attitude, mm-hmm. and you know he had he had one of my favorite Matt comments ever is is comparing the conference to a NASCAR, a NASCAR. race, and I've yeah. I've never watched a NASCAR race to be honest with you, but I certainly get the you know get the comparison, which is that right. you know he he feels like you know, by outworking and being creative, he can be better. Where the, I, I get the opposite feeling from the staff, which is that, you know, it's it's about it's about showing up better and then just hoping that's the case, rather than kind of preparing for. And in a way, part of sort of another example of of what I had said earlier is during the big losing streak to Michigan, you know, Brian Cook would complain constantly that Lloyd Carr would play this sort of caveman football. Where it was like run, run, pass. If you stop me, great. If not, punt. You know, and or, or you know, if I score, great. If not, punt. 
And Penn State would do the same exact thing against Michigan. And because Michigan had better talent, Michigan always won. Some Sometimes by a lot, sometimes by a little, but they always won. And, um, you know, it, it's it's that approach that, you know, it's, it's like the coaching staff assumes that they have better talent than everybody and they don't. And, and that's sort of what we see in these big games. And then in these other games, a lot of times they know they have better talent and try to coast by on it. Yeah, and you can, you know, they we've also seen games though where they've they've really uncomfortably done that, and I, that, I don't I don't Saturday know. Was. Yeah, and I I actually I actually got for I had I had a pretty good feeling with about seven minutes left that, and this is pretty rare, especially in a game against Temple. But I was I was legitimately preparing for what is this? How is the internet going to handle the bandwidth that's going to come along with this with this loss? <laughs> what, would have, what what would have happened if they lost the game? Not just you know people screaming online because it would have been that. And I mean, even after a four point win against Temple, people be like, "Fire Joe!" Like, like that's going to happen. Um, but how, how do you think the the story changes? You know, the, the perception of it if Penn State loses that game. I I, I don't see how Penn State. You know, showed anything in coming back and winning that they didn't show in the first three and a half quarters of the game. So, so there's that. I I just think you you probably get you probably get the patience line. It's, you know, and you know the way the schedule stacks up, it actually could you know it's well played. Unfortunately, um, it certainly reflects poorly at the end of the year, especially if they if they finish the season with three blowouts, which is looks less likely in, in Ohio State's case, but they also have a lot more offensive players coming back from suspension, and and they just tend to get better by the end of the year. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure other than, you know, cranking the dial up on the freakout meter that anything <laughs> is fundamentally different. Yeah, you might be right. So I'm looking at the schedule again. Um Indiana's Eastern Motors is is bad. You know, they, I guess they ran for a little bit against Michigan, but I think they only scored three points or something. I, I think was it? Do you know the score of that game? Was it like thirty-five-three? It, it was three, which is just mind-boggling. Right. They're gonna have negative rushing yards on Saturday. Yeah, like they're they're gonna get pounded, and and really the only question on Saturday will be, how does Penn State's offense do, and will we make field goals? Which and that's and that's why that. the Penn State game will end twelve nothing. <laughs> excuse me, the Ohio State game. We mentioned the uh, the kickers before the season. Yep, we were on it. Big prophetic. Big big exactly. big problem. Um, okay, so also if Kevin Kelly is on the team this year, I that would have been a tie game going into overtime. Yeah. Which also wouldn't have been good. You're almost kind of blessed in the sense. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that, that's the thing. Um, quickly on on that, do you make anything out of the uh, Joe Paterno's comments today that it was Jay who convinced everyone to to go for it? Did you see this? I did. I read. I read it this morning. That, that um, Jay uh, Jay was the, the the shining light in in you know behind the tinted glass that convinced the rest of the coaching <laughs> staff to go for it. When um, directly after the game, 
Tom Bradley, um, Justin Brown, and I believe Galen Hall all said it was Joe Paterno's call. What? It's insignificant, I know, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. But we've seen this before with Joe where he says, oh, you know, I should have listened to Jay. You know, we saw that with Morelli and, and Clark in the past where Joe wanted to take out Anthony Morelli and put Daryl Clark in the game, and Jay freaked out and said no and threatened to quit. And, uh, you know, months later, the, the story changed to, well, Jay said I, I should have played Daryl Moore. He was right. And, you know, what? I mean, the, the, the true cynic uh, in me will say, like, well, that's him positioning Jay to, to look good and, and take over you know, next year. Not that that's ever going to happen, but do you think there's at least some sort of positioning going on here to make Jay look better than than he deserves? I I can't. I honestly cannot say either way. I, yeah. I could certainly be cynical about it. And the, the Morelli-Clark thing is, is the quintessential, like, just misdirection. Like, what the hell? What the hell are we even having this discussion for? But <laughs> right. I... I mean, it'd be one thing if Jay was like kind of a fringe candidate, but he's not, no. he's not even, he, he's not even an offensive coordinator candidate in, in any type of new regime, whether it's Bradley or somebody on the outside or, I mean, he's, he's not even close. So I don't know, maybe, maybe Joe doesn't fully realize that, or maybe he's just saying things to be confusing. It is weird though, isn't Which it? Which he has done on purpose and is is not necessarily, you know Yeah, but I, bad or not part of the charm of, of some of the of some of the stories. Yeah, I, I I think a lot of people sort of rely on like, oh Joe's just messing with the with the media again as sort of a cover for him not really being with it or honest. But whatever. Alright, so Big Ten schedule. At Indiana. Still a win? Still a win. Still a win. Home against Iowa? I got it. Is it weird I have a strange suspicion that that's like a blowout loss? <laughs> no. Not at all. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, we know Iowa always gets up for that game. We see I, we see this from Iowa every year where they, yeah, they blew they us out the same year they almost against the Northern. The, yeah. Northern Iowa, they've had the block kick on. Mm-hmm. Was that Northern Iowa? I don't Two block kicks. They had to block the field goal twice at the end of the game. <laughs> right. I, 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 I'm not buying this, um, this limping across the finish line thing from last week, at all. No. Um, Purdue at home. Purdue still bad. They blew out Southeast Missouri State, but have looked kind of awful otherwise. Um, I'll, I'll say it's still a win, but, uh, you know, who can tell with this team? I, I don't, the thing with Penn State is I don't know where the improvement's going to come from. Maybe the offensive line will get better. Um, but, I mean, how much will that help? If the play calling is still terrible, if the quarterbacks are still muddled, how, you know, We'll call it a win. I mean, I'll call it a win just for its sake, but it's really closer to a toss-up at this point. Northwestern lost to Army. They still enough Persa, but I assume they will by then. Northwestern, I, I'm I'm going to it, I'm going to say they're better than Temple. People are giving Temple credit. Temple was terrible on Saturday. By the way, people, Temple <laughs> Temple was awful. 
That's a really bad football team. Yeah, there was there was a lot of that coming. Not not in the first twenty four hours, but certainly in the in the twenty four after that. Yeah, no, Temple's bad. So at Northwestern is still you know it, you can flip a coin, but it, it, it's leaning more towards loss at this point, don't you think? Yeah, and it's I mean, it's, it's a it's, night it's, game it's, in Evanston, so yeah, yeah, got for the crowd. No, I, I don't have it. It'll, it'll be at sixty percent capacity for the night game. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know how I mean. Penn State has these teams that that seem to really know their strategy and, and counter it well. I I always feel we're good against Northwestern. Yeah, I, I know there was the two thousand five thing, and I know that they came out with a ninety percent completion percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were always good against Purdue too when they ran when they ran that big spread. Yeah, even with Drew Brees there, we were we were very good, and with Penn State in in the crapper, that you know Tom Bradley's defenses tend to do well against those sorts of offenses. Yeah, I don't have any concerns about Northwestern. I I, I think that who knows what happens when they're healthy, but um, I that that one I'm not ready to go there yet. Illinois at home. Illinois is interesting this year. I think they, um, but you know I I, I wrote. I kind of just drilled in, which is really easy to do on ESPN schedule. And I mean, they're ranked because they beat someone who's ranked who beat someone who's ranked who should not have been ranked at all. So, um, I'm not, I'm not sure what to make of them. Honestly, I think, I think jury's still out. They they could have the Michigan effect, which by the way, I saw some stat that Michigan has won 12 straight games in September. Sure. I believe that. Which is, which is, (laughs) Which is pretty uh, pretty believable, but but anyway, I, I think they might they might be getting the kind of Michigan bump here, where they're beating some teams that maybe sound a little better than they are. But right. again, they they look more well rounded than Penn State does. Um, Penn State's not going to score nearly enough points to beat Nebraska. No, and, and even if they hold Nebraska to twenty one or twenty eight, there's not they're not getting anywhere near that. No, well, not yet. Um, Ohio State looked awful, awful, awful. I mean, they, you know, maybe Braxton Miller will be better by November 19th, but that's... I think he will be, and I, th- I think that they have a really solid defense also. Mm-hmm. Um, one that is just going to embarrass the current the current kind of Penn State lineup. So I think that's one of these, um, we've lost to them before like this, where it's it's nine nothing, and then it's seven fourteen or seven, you know, seven whatever, seven eighteen. It's it's just going to kind of be this thing where their defense will keep us in check, and I, I don't have any expectations of winning, but that one that will be a different kind of loss, I think. And they're not wearing, they're not winning at Wisconsin. Mm-mm. Wisconsin might be legitimately good. They might be the only legitimately talented team in the whole conference. And that's the scary part because this conference is absolutely right for the taking. With the exception of Wisconsin, probably, but you know, a, a, even like your average standard Penn State team, you know, you you look at them, sort of, you know, you, you pull up to the bar and you look at the you look at the horse and say, oh, it's a, it's a nine and three. That that it's that sort of a team, and that you know, your average Penn State team should march through this schedule like a knife through butter. You know, Alabama and Wisconsin and maybe Nebraska and Ohio State accepted. 
But Ohio State even really shouldn't be accepted. I, I think Ohio State's in for a rough year. I think they're yeah. they're going to have their defense is going to play well. It's going to be two thousand four for them. I, I don't know their schedule, but they're in for a rough patch for a while. But that you know, there's talent on that team, and they'll be they will be better at the end of the year too. They'll be better. They, will Penn State be better by the end of the year? I don't know. You'd hope so, but you know, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm thankful that they won against Temple. I'm still kind of in shock that they did, to be honest with you, having, having sat there and, and watched it unfold before my eyes. But I don't, I don't know where the improvement's going to come from, I guess is, is my, there's, there's no evidence that either quarterback's going to step up and seize the job. There's no evidence that the coaching staff has any, incentive or any motivation to have one of the quarterbacks step up and seize the job. That's sort of the urge. Yeah. There's no urgency to solve the, solve the problem. And maybe that's because there's no solution, but you know, at one point you have to pick a horse, don't you? Because this, I mean, this is not, this is not working. I, you know, I don't, I don't even care if they, if they, if they pick a horse, I, th- I think they have to do two things or, or it's, it will get very frustrating. They need to just figure out a way to use the running game effectively. And then I think even if you don't pick a horse, at least let the quarterbacks play to strengths, um, mm-hmm. which I, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm fine with. I'm fine with, I'm fine. You know, I, I'd love to pick one, I guess. Um, only cause I, I want a more comfortable quarterback and we're, we're not going to have that if we're doing this. Maybe you did play well enough. Maybe you didn't to come in the next series, kind of thing. But um, I don't think that the offense can't overcome switching the quarterbacks. And I, I, I really think that if they if they get the run game going, it, it might be a little more interesting to let you know let McGloin throw some screens, let Bolden throw these kind of outs and darts and things, or, or roll out to the sideline and see if you can run for first downs. Um, but it's I, it all comes back to the to the running I think and I I don't have I'm not I'm not totally down on the offensive line I think they could get better too so there's there's a couple kind of long shots here <laughs> is, uh, you always bet the long shots because they pay the best <laughs> yes, they, yes they do that's that's even reduced to uh, the long shots <laughs> after four games. And a squeaker against Temple, that's that's what we're at. We're like, well, if this it's like hitting the like the quadruple bank shot. <laughs> you know, this, the, the, this is like the, the, the seventeen parlay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, well, it's well, I lost ten times on black, but put it off <laughs> on fifteen. Yeah. It's it's okay. it's due. We're we're betting on the Washington generals here. All right. Well, let, let's reconvene after Eastern Motors. Um, yeah, it'll be a much more upbeat scene. <laughs> it, it, it better be. <laughs> it better be. And then, and then it's Big Ten time. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll revisit our uh, our Big Ten predictions for uh, for next week. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you then. Something is reaching you now. Something that lives in the dark of my mind It's like a small thought is gone It's like a must on ground at the sand And hey, 
Yes, I'm a 